0: The Economist.
1: From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly programme about news in the worlds of business, finance and economics. I'm Andrew Palmer, the Business Affairs Editor. On today's show, as the National People's Congress in China meets to discuss their new five-year plan, we'll discuss that country's plans for economic greatness, and we'll also look at how they are affecting bouncy global commodity prices. With me here to discuss is John O'Sullivan, our economics editor, and Henry Tricks, our energy editor. John, let's start with you and just wrap up what it was that we heard from the prime minister in China at the weekend. What were the headlines as he outlined where
0: China is heading over the next five years? Well, I think it was more where we're going over the next year that caught people's attention. And I think the overall message was that they're not going to let GDP growth falter in any way. So they set a, a growth target range for GDP this year of 65 to 7%. So that's at, well at the top end of what people think is achievable by China now. They announced a fiscal deficit of 3% of GDP, which is larger than the one that was planned for last year, although a bit smaller than the one they actually got. And they also set a target for money and credit growth of 13%, which is also faster than last year. So a pretty goey growth target plus... Some ammunition to actually get you there was was the broad message. Now, in addition to that, there was some rhetoric that we
1: at The Economist would welcome around tackling issues of overcapacity, perhaps using tax cuts rather than spending growth to, to fund that budget deficit. And so in between that sort of push to a higher target, was there stuff to look at and think that sounds better?
0: Uh, There's stuff to light. For example, in the budget deficit, the spending growth was capped at 3%. We infer from that that a lot of the extra stimulus is going to come from the tax side, which is good because that takes away resources from – presumably from state-owned enterprises and diverts it to private firms or even private individuals. So that's positive. There was lots of rhetoric, although there has been lots of rhetoric about closing inefficient low-end enterprises, here meaning steel and coal – the Prime Minister put that as one of his main guidelines for the economy over the next five years. I think the problem is, is that it's, it's rather easier to say than it is to do. And I think most people will judge that on, on actions rather than what was being said. But at least it's being acknowledged that this is a problem and it needs to be tackled. Now we've seen a pretty
1: dramatic reaction to to the news out of China. And Henry, let me bring you in here. You know, China consumes an enormous amount of the world's uh, metals, produces a lot of a lot of stuff too. But um, we saw in iron ore markets, in particular, an incredible bounce yesterday.
2: Yeah, it's been a bounce a year, and largely because people have becoming. Slightly more optimistic in the commodities markets over China's growth in the course of January and February, at least since the lows in January. What John calls the, the GOE GDP projections for the coming years were definitely taken uh, as positive by the commodities markets, which pushed up iron ore prices by twenty percent in one day on Monday. But also has helped sort of fuel a rally across the metals market. So copper is up, and as is tin and, and other metals, and oil as well. And this was to a certain extent reinforced by figures coming out today that suggest that commodities demand by China, although weak in February compared to January. Uh, On a year-by-year basis, they're actually really pretty strong. 50% increase year-on-year in copper imports in February. So there is a sense that China is still consuming a lot of metals, even if those metals are being put into storage, perhaps, rather than being put into manufacturing or into construction or or the things that fueled the commodities markets beforehand.
1: And I guess, John, with all of this, there's the question of how sustainable the growth that China is committing itself to uh, can possibly be. And if we're still seeing enormous amounts of credit growth, and that's still going to inefficient companies, there's reason to
0: worry. Yes, I think so. The thing is that the, the reasons to worry are sort of longer term reasons. It's the problem of misallocation of capital. I think we're also seeing signs of some of that strong credit growth that we saw already in January feeding through into the property market in some of the big cities. So there's a sense that China is either not able to absorb some of the credit that's going around or it's been misdirected into things that are not, not terribly efficient to produce. But I think the reaction has been one in which, OK, it may not be the best GDP growth that you're ever going to get, but at least it's GDP growth. And that's what's driving the sort of recovery in commodity markets that Henry was talking about.
2: Just to jump in here, if uh, if you're a commodities bull, you look at that increase in property values in the big four Chinese cities and you say, ah, that's good because that means that there's more house building that will come down the line. However, our sense is that still there's a massive inventory of unsold homes in China and not just unsold homes but also uncompleted homes which is why there's also a good argument to say this rally is sort of pepped up by excessive optimism and possibly also a sort of reversal of that pessimism that really stalked the markets at the start of the year rather than real fundamental factors. And
1: a lot of that market fear at the start of the year was centred on the yuan uh, in particular and fears of a big uh, slide still to come in the value of the Chinese
0: currency. That seems to have sort of gone away or at least subsided temporarily, John. I don't think it's entirely gone away but it has subsided and I think there's two, two reasons for that. One is there is some evidence that quite a lot of the capital outflows as measured after august that resulted in a in a fall in china's foreign exchange reserves were actually chinese companies swapping their dollar debts into renminbi. so they were essentially facilitating something that over the medium term at least, will make China more resilient to external shocks. So there's a sense that, well, if you're going to have a rundown in in external reserves, that's actually the good kind. The second is that the Chinese authorities seem to have effectively clamped down on other sorts of, of capital outflows. So the latest change in reserves figures for February was after a couple of months in which reserves had fallen by around about 100 billion, they fell by around about 30 billion in February. So there's a sense that China is clamping down on capital outflows of the wrong sort and has actually been facilitating capital Outflows of the of the right sort. That's where the the sort of diminishing anxiety is coming from. There's a but coming. The but is of course, if you are going to target quite strong credit growth over the next year, that will start to build pressure again on capital outflows again. The money is either going to go into the property market or is going to be pushing against the capital controls and trying to leak out.
1: Henry, you mentioned the oil price when you were talking about commodities generally having had a good start to the year. Presumably there's a China effect at work here, but can you just update us on the oil price and where we've got to? There is a China effect in the, in the sense that
2: you know, China is a, a big consumer of oil and a lot of its refineries at the moment are buying up a lot of oil. They've been kind of given more freedom to buy up oil on their own account there's a sense that a lot of it is going into storage rather than being used for driving or industrial processes or whatever. So Chinese demand has helped push up the oil price. But really, like all commodities, this is a supply story at the moment rather than a demand story. The thing that's really helped the oil price over the last month or so is the sense that US production is finally beginning to decline year on year which didn't happen for most of last year, this is kind of giving some sense that perhaps the low oil prices are forcing producers to cut production. But at the same time, there's still just such an enormous amount of oversupply in the oil market. So we're still talking about oil stocks at record levels that you really think that this fall in production has to continue for quite some months before there is any real rebound in, in oil prices.
1: I think we should end perhaps by just sort of reflecting on the next few months and whether the pattern we're seeing now, which is, you know, sort of we see bursts of enthusiasm, then we see a lot of volatility and fear coming back into the market. Is that sort of roughly what we should be expecting, do you think, over the coming year, both in China, John, and then in commodities markets more generally, Henry?
0: I think that's, that's perhaps right, although I think that maybe the cycle gets a little bit longer than it's been. I mean, we, we had anxiety in August and September last year, and then a sort of recovery in October, November into December and then anxiety again. I mean, this may have slightly longer legs. I think what China has done effectively is essentially said, we are not going down right now. Probably they want to say we're not going right down ever. But the sense is that in the near term, all the stops are going to be pulled out to keep growth going. And I think there's a sort of relief rally on the back of that. And perhaps that momentum carries through for a bit longer than it did in the past. But I think China has really big fundamental problems in terms of its debt overhang, its general financial system, the returns on incremental returns on investment. These are things that are not going away. It's just the trouble may play out over years rather than months.
2: Yes, and I think from the commodities point of view as well, there's the concern that price rises in themselves, so the seeds of their own destruction, because as soon as there is a pop, as there is, for example, in oil prices, then it's relatively attractive for oil companies to ramp up production again, which they can do fairly quickly, at least in the short term, because they have a lot of wells that are just ready to be tapped. And I think you you probably could see the same thing in the Chinese property market as well. There's a lot of these uncompleted homes, which if prices do go up, would be fairly quick to come back onto the market. So yes, I think ups and downs are definitely the way ahead.
1: Henry, thank you very much and thanks also to John. That's all we have time for this week. Don't forget that along with coverage of these stories, you can find more on finance, economics and business at economist.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at econeconomics and at econbizfin. In London, this is The Economist.
0: The Economist. Flexibility is great.
2: That's why there's yoga.